How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Ooh. You did a little staccato end. A little pull back. Yeah, a little. A little pull the string back oh, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. I tell you, yeah, I was going for it. It was a, a totally unique experience. Yeah, the we're going to Trying to be a little different every time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. You got a phone call coming in, I huh, Dr. Joe? Yeah, I want to turn that on, one off. Uh, got it on, uh, you know, moot. 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 It would be moot. It would be. We're sticking moot. to the theme of parenting. Yes, we are. Tonight Tonight is actually going to get pretty intense, so I want people just to be prepared. You may hear Tissue things. Tissue prepared or... Yeah, I think tonight uh, is the dark side. Yeah. There's a dark side of parenting as well, sometimes through no fault of one's own. Mm -hmm. um, and so our guest, Ed Jacobs, uh, from uh, Tim Cruz, our Plymouth County District Attorney's Office, who is a remarkable fellow. Both Tim is remarkable, but Ed is remarkable. He'll be calling in. But last week, just to sort of recap, we were just talking a little bit about the general idea of parenting and how there is no one book on parenting. Right? No, no manual, no licensure, no right. qualifications, right. just that's, nature. That's what it is. And if there was one way to do it, there'd be one book. But I am always reminded of this cartoon from Rose's Rose, mm. where there's a little boy playing baseball with his dad. He's terrible. He can't hit it, throw it, catch it. But his dad says, you're amazing. Right. And that is part of what we're really trying to do, is try to remind kids that they are amazing. They've got a mind, they've got a brain that is wondering all the time what other people think or feel about them. It's just the way our brains work. It's something called theory of mind. We can't see someone's mind, so we have to theorize and guess what are they thinking or feeling. That's what empathy is. But what we really want to know is what are they thinking or feeling about us. Mm. And that drives us. And in the I am approach, that's the I see domain. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? And it's active, very young, very young, you know, little, little, little babies may not have any idea why you're doing what you're doing, but they know how they're being treated. Mm -hmm. And you as a parent have this absolutely amazing privilege, opportunity, and it can be kind of scary. You know, we've, we've both got kids. We know what it is. We've both been kids. Right. We know what it is, and that's what's cool. You may be out there listening and not be a parent, but you were a kid, and you may have memories about how you were influenced by your home domain. Mm -hmm. And that's a major part of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Home domain and the I am, but also the social domain. What happens at home that then gets translated into how a kid is in the rest of the world, and what happens in their brain and body. So it can feel a little intimidating at times to be a parent when you realize that you have this enormous responsibility mm -hmm. but it is also an incredible privilege and it's an amazing gift it really is and as i said last week i'm going to repeat it again it is much more rewarding to be amazed at who your child is 
than disappointed in who they are not. Right. They're amazing. Right. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to... Like Rose is Rose. Like Rose is Rose. And that builds, builds something in our kids called resilience, which is the ability to withstand trauma, the ability to withstand adversity, the ability to withstand all of these things and the vagaries of life. So you can say, okay, that happened to me, but that doesn't mean that I am a bad person. And that is also a major message of the I am approach. I mean, the I am is saying we're all doing the best we can at every moment in time with the potential to change in the very next second to another best we can. This is my current maximum potential. This is who I am, and I matter. What do you think about using that for I am? I matter. I matter. I mean, I, I know it sounds like maybe the stuff in, you know, you were talking about this, the stuff that you have in the eye when you wake up in the morning, <laughs> that gunky stuff, but it's That's not. an eye booger, I think. <laughs> it's an eye booger. I, I booger. matter. I matter. I, I, I am. Let's see what the viewers Look, think I, about I, that. I would really like to know because people keep saying to me, so what does I am, for? what does the M stand for? Right. You know? Well, I think a lot of people think you're saying, I am. That's exactly right. And that is part of what we're saying. I am. Right. And why not start thinking of ourselves doing the best we can? It doesn't mean you have to like it. doesn't mean you have to condone it. Not a free ride just because it's the best you can do. doesn't mean you're not going to be held responsible. Mm -hmm. Everything you do has a natural consequence. It doesn't even mean you're going to be successful. And we've talked about this, you know. One definition of success is when you love going to work and love going home. Right. But another success is having food in the refrigerator or having a home to have a refrigerator or just waking up. Mm. And what I, I'm hoping is people decide what success means to them. And then you use the I am as a roadmap to get there. So you don't have to like it, but let's look again at why you're doing what you're doing based on the influence of the domains. And think about the words, look again, again, look. Again, to repeat something, look like a spectator. Let's respect why we do what we do. When's the last time you got angry at someone treating you with respect? I don't think that's possible. It is not possible. Same reliability as gravity. Apples don't fall up. The brain doesn't get activated when it feels respected with anger because anger is an emotion designed to change things. We get angry when we want somebody to do something different, but being respected feels great. Why would we want to change that? Right. So Give me more of that. Give me more of that, which is what we can do for our children, because respect leads to value, which is what everybody wants. We all want the same thing, just to feel valued by somebody else. Mm. And and at every and any moment in time, you can remind someone of their value. You can do that. So there are parents out there that um, aren't showing value to their children. Unfortunately, it's true, but rather than judge them Mm -hmm. as bad people, let's look at their I am. What's going on with them that that's the best they can do? And I got to tell you, as a child psychiatrist, I see this a lot. I see kids who may have been removed from the home because it wasn't safe, because they were being abused or they were being neglected. And you can blame a parent for that, or you can wonder... What's going on? What small change can we make so that we can help that parent be a better parent, be a parent who's caring for their kids? Because we talked about it. Respect leads to value and value leads to trust. And besides trust being a neurochemical in the brain, it's really the antidote to fear and anger and sadness. Because I think when you trust someone, 
you can make that mistake and know you're not going to be judged as less valuable. We really need to be valued as human beings. It's just part of our nature because mm -hmm. it meant that we were seen as contributing to a group and the group provided protection and we needed that protection or else we would be kicked out of our group. And millions of years ago, if you were kicked out of the group and you were alone, you were much more likely to be lunch. You were mm. prey. Uh, Ed Jacobs is here. Welcome, Ed. Hey, Ed. Doctor, how are you? Nice to hear from both of you. Uh, it is great to have you here. So we are talking um, about parenting. And mm -hmm. we're, we were talking a little bit about, you know, the, the general idea of parenting. But we wanted to also talk about tonight one of the areas I think that you have some expertise in and specialty in that you go all around talking about it something mm -hmm. called ACEs and I wonder yep. if you could just tell folks uh, on air what ACEs <laughs> is and what it's about yeah, well, I'd be happy to do that uh, it's great to be here so let me see if I can explain in uh, approximately 20 21 years ago 1998 two um, researchers physicians Dr. Felitti and Dr. Anda Dr. Felitti was from Kaiser Permanente, and Dr. Ander was from the Centers for Disease Control. Uh, they got together and they put um, a, a survey together, and they surveyed a number of people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. They actually sent out almost 30,000 requests and received, I think it's 17,800 uh, affirmatives that people would take the survey. And the survey was asking them um, questions that in their childhood, had they ever been, ha had what they were calling adverse childhood experiences? And the experiences were as follows. Uh, physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, physical neglect, emotional neglect, uh, alcoholic parent or substance using parent, a family member in jail or criminality, the disappearance of a parent through divorce, death or abandonment, a family member diagnosed with mental illness or a mother who was a victim of domestic violence mm. and in that study what they found was that approximately in that the first study which actually had seven of those aces and they added a couple more in the last couple of years um, that about 50 percent of the population and now that they've added the three extra with it with the um, uh, divorce etc and uh, family member mental illness um, those have about 64 percent of the population who responded were said they had at least one ace wow. now what's interesting about this study was is that they were uh, a little bit about 40 40 55 percent male females 45 percent males uh, about 70 percent of the people had at least college or some college mm. uh 70 percent were white and they were taken off the kaiser permanente which is uh, for lack of a better thing and you know better perhaps than i do doc um kind of the Blue Cross, Blue Shield, kind of the, the blue ribbon gold standard of Southern California yeah. in terms of health care. Yeah, so and, and then what they did was so there was this huge prevalence of substance abuse, so of, of, uh, of a number of the ACEs. So in that first ACEs study, for instance, of the people who responded, this 17,000 plus, about more than 10,000, I mean more than 10%, excuse me, had psychological abuse. And about 28%, one of the highest numbers, was physical abuse. And maybe surprising to some of your listeners, about 20% was sexual abuse. Mm. And then 26% was substance abuse. 
Mental illness was 19%. Mother treated violently was about 13%. And criminal behavior in the household was about 5%. Now, the interesting part, aside from all of that, was then they took a look at those people in the study, and they literally had permission because they were Kaiser Permanente, but they also had permission waivers from each participant who, surveyed, who got surveyed to look at their medical and mental health or behavioral health records. Mm. And what they found was that there was a higher likelihood, kind of a dose response, that the more ACEs one has, the higher your likelihood is to, in later in life, have high blood pressure, mm. diabetes, cancer, traumatic heart disease, et cetera. And this became, you know, kind of somewhat controversial, but it's been, uh, it's been replicated a number of different places and times. Um, certainly other psychological or sociological phenomena happen, uh, higher rates of divorce in those people who have uh, high ACEs, again, higher rates of their own substance abuse, higher rates of incarceration, a high number of, of the use of the emergency room. So the ACE study really, really kind of, I, I think, kind of set people, uh, in, when 20 years ago it came out and people were like, yeah, I don't know, but it's been replicated, and in the last 10 years, it's something that at least our office and myself, when, we've, when we do prevention work and we look at the community, it's been the 800-pound gorilla as far as I'm concerned. That we need, When we talk about kids and we talk about families, we really need to start talking about ACEs and what those experiences are and how do we help those kids and how do we help those families counteract the ACEs. And, and you, you alluded to your office. Want to just tell folks who you're working for and with right oh, now? Oh, sure, yeah. I'm, I apologize. I, so I'm, I'm lucky enough to work for uh, Tim Cruz, the Plymouth County District Attorney. Uh, I've been there uh, 22 years. Uh, um, I'm the director of grants and sponsored projects. I'm, you know, I'm happy to say that the DA has kept me on that long. Uh, but he really believes that we need a, a voice in the community as kind of uh, prevention and intervention and how do we promote best practices in the community. I mean, I think some DAs now have, have done this and probably there's somebody like me in most DAs offices, but 20, 20 years ago, that was kind of a little bit different. Um, the idea, I guess, that we were thinking of is, you know, we can just be the person, the, the people who prosecute cases. Or, or we can get in front of this stuff and get upstream and say, how do we, how do, we do some prevention work? Right. And how do we try to get ahead of this stuff? And then how do we promote that within our community? So that, it, you know, things like getting, you know, getting kids to school or reducing domestic violence or human trafficking. You know, what, what are the things we, what, why, again, one of the stories I would use is, you know, if we were a physicians in, a do, in an emergency room and we had an enormous number of children who came in due to head injuries because they rode their bikes without helmets, don't we have a responsibility to go back to the community and say, hey, you got to put helmets on your kids? Yeah, and so that's right. what we think we are. We, we see people not only defend on but as you know, we see an awful lot of victims, and that's the sad part about it. So to lessen that number of victim, that victimology, we really think we got to use some science, use good data, um, use some common sense, and, and try to get upstream on this stuff. So I, I think it's, you know, such an important insight. Um, and it's really interesting that, that Kaiser you know, which is a very well-respected group out there in the South Coast, was able to access the medical and psychological database of the folks that responded. Um, and, and the things that you talk about from a biological domain, because remember, we're, we're talking about the IM approach and how these four sure. domains interact. Yeah. And the biological domain, could you just repeat again, what there was higher incidence, you said, of, 
of high blood pressure, so hypertension, diabetes. Yep. What else? Diabetes. Cancer. Um, schematic heart, heart disease. Yep. Uh, high rates of substance abuse. Yep. Cancer. Um, and, high, and high rates of cancer. Right. And divorce. And, and divorce. And, but, you know, and divorce. Right. So, so, you know, if you have, for, if you know, divorce. So if you have, say, six or more aces, the likelihood, you're seven times more likely to be incarcerated. If you have six or more aces or seven or more aces, there's a 46-time chance that you're going to be an intravenous drug user, again, based on wow. the data. Yeah. Crazy. Wow. It's very powerful, very compelling, and as I said, you know, it's a, it's been replicated. We, you know, it's been vetted. You know, for, for people far smarter than me, but uh, yeah. So we we really kind of have put our, we don't put all our eggs in one basket, but this is one we really think if we can get to the schools, we can get to the police, if we can get to those people who, when they meet they meet children or families at their probably their worst moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can really get them to understand what trauma looks like. That sometimes, or and for both kids and you know, for kids and family and parents, and kind of break that stigma down. We want people to understand is you know sometimes it's not always a character flaw. It's really about you know the the, the lived experience of that child or that that parent. And uh, and sometimes that that can be counteracted with a number of things. And again, I think I I think I. In verse from your first uh, show, I mean, really, that idea of that caring adult, that stable, that's right. caring adult that's supportive in the family can almost overcome a lot of these. It's not a given. It's not a guarantee. But, boy, it's a, as they use the word, it's a great buffer. Yeah, and, and it was the charismatic adult, and, and we know that this is in terms of resilience in children. That right. That yes. Every resilient child has had at least one adult who saw them as valuable, and that is not an immunization, but it sure can go a long way to counter the stress response that they're experiencing. Because the things that that you on you're talking about and have uncovered are, I believe, a direct manifestation of the cortisol response. Cortisol is a stress yes. hormone. Yes. And we know that under chronic stress conditions, you have an increased risk of hypertension, an increased risk of obesity, an increased risk of type 2 diabetes, an increased risk of strokes and cardiac disease, and of course, more likely than not, an increased risk of then doing something to get away from that, like maybe drinking or using drugs. Right. Right? You've got to feel something similar. Or doing something. Right. right. Then there's the modeling part. Then there's the modeling part as well and the repeating, which we call in in our shrinky thing, identification with the aggressor. When somebody is aggressive to you, you know, in order to have some degree of power, you'll do what they do. That's why bullying can be so contagious Mm. as well. Right. But so, so, you know, we're, we're looking a little bit at that biological domain, but it's really important and i think this is one of the messages i want people to hear is this is still an i am right we don't have to Mm -hmm. like it but i want to understand what is going on not just in these children but i don't want people to then turn their backs and vilify the parents who are doing this i'm not condoning it by any means but if there's a modeling thing what what would their childhood experiences right. like oh that's you know? exactly right yeah so so yeah, that's exactly right so from a from an upstream thing so here mm-hmm. so how how are you training 
police and, and, and other people schools. in the laws and schools to identify a child who may be beginning to accumulate their aces. What do we do? So right now, we've been doing this work since about 2006, and I'll tell you what we initially did. We were trying to just share some information. We had an incident that happened of an armed home invasion, and a mother and three children uh, uh, was a drug house ripoff. One set of drug dealers ripping off another. The, the, the long and short of it was the kids went, to, there was a horrific night. Um, thankfully, nobody was permanently injured physically, but you know they had the door kicked in. They went to the emergency room. They were threatened. The next day, the children all went to school, and I received a phone call a couple days later from a mentor of mine who was a school psychologist, and he said, Eddie, these kids came to school, and, I, and he said, and we didn't know anything about this, not one thing. Mm. And so I began to think, if I'm that child, that 5-year-old, 6-year-old, 12, I thought all the adults in my world knew what everything that went on in my right. life. Mm. So now I walk into this school, and no one says a word to me. Mm. And I began to think, what's the message that that child gets? Well, I think the message is, I, well, I guess they don't care. Right. Um, maybe they don't want me to talk about it. Uh, maybe this is my new normal. And maybe a hundred other messages. I would say all those messages are toxic as it relates to that child and his relationship to the school. Because if they don't care about me and what happened to me and my sisters and my mother last night, like, why, why wouldn't I act out? Right. So what we really needed to do was try to get the police and the schools to try to communicate, get out of their silos. And we've developed a program that we worked with, actually presented this in West Virginia. Uh, and we, we gave them a concept down there called the Red Envelope. And West Virginia came back and said, hey, we tweaked this a little bit. You can use it. And now we've just put up our website. And it's called Handle With Care Massachusetts. Hmm. And Handle With Care is really the idea of, if something were to happen and the police were to go to a scene, now maybe it's a drug overdose, maybe it's a domestic violence, maybe the police officer went to the child and the dog got run over or he was upset, maybe it's the grandmother who's been living at the house for 13 or 14 years but been on hospice for the last three months, expired and the child was present, and the police officer said, you know what, that child's you know, having a tough time with this. So let me just send that child's name to the school system and all it's going to say is handle with care. There's no other information on it. Ah. And all that, all those, te all those teachers and those, all those people who are involved with that child are just going to do a check-in. So what we're doing is we're training police officers to look for children in the house, look for little sneakers, look for something on the refrigerator. And then, and a lot of officers are funny. Not funny, but they'll say, you know, I see, I, I, I quell the scene. It's chaotic, and I look in the corner, Ed. And I see a little five-year-old boy, and he's sucking his thumb, and he's mm. rocking back and forth, and I don't know what to do with that. Mm. And so we need to give them the tools to put in their toolbox to do that. One of the things, as you may know, and I'm sure you know it well, is you know, for officers are trained in terms of their firearms training about tactical, what they call tactical breathing, of controlling their breath. Well, that's something that they could, they know well, that they could share with a young child who's either having an anxiety attack or is fearful or it's a way to engage a child. And so we want them to, to really start to do that. And then the other side of it, we're training schools on ways that schools can have a common language about looking for kids. So we've partnered with the Trauma and, Policy, the Trauma and Learning Policy Institute out of Harvard Law School. And they wrote a book called Helping Traumatized Children Learn. It has a purple cover. 
Um, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. It's free. It's online. They have a great website. It's called uh, traumasensitiveschools.org. And so we're, we're doing trainings for as many teachers as we can. So since 2006, we've probably trained over 6,500, almost 7,000 teachers. Mm-hmm. And our job, our, our idea is to see if we can't get teachers to come up with um, kind of what, what the book calls, or the trauma book, the uh, Helping Traumatized Children, it's called the four, you know, that we look for the four domains of, uh, of kids. And, you know, to try to understand relationships and try to understand um, uh, academic performance, you know, try to understand the child's health and well-being. And, and so we're, we're looking at the domains and giving teachers kind of a common language to talk about kids. And we're also trying to train not just teachers, but librarians, cafeteria workers, because there are people in schools, when you think about kids at schools, that it's funny, they may not have a relationship with a teacher, but boy, that, that cafeteria lady's awfully nice to them, and they seem to have a nice repertoire back and forth over the course of the day. And for some kids, that's really, really important. Yeah, I remember... Um, you and I had a chance to to chat a few weeks ago, and you were telling me a story about you going into the schools and, and working with teachers and trying mm-hmm. to figure out uh, the the different like friendships that different kids had, or there was some relationship. Do you remember what you were telling me about with the? Yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. So, Let's hear about that. Um, let me see if I can't. Um, I just want to give myself a second here. Uh, I'm just adjusting. Sorry. Oh, um, all right. So it's all it's all about adjustment. We, so that's we, what we're talking yeah, about. We're talking about helping our adjust, children right. adjust yeah. if they've gone through ACEs. Right. So you take a moment. So Go ahead. All right. we 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 want to we look at of the four domains the, that we we focus on. Again, this is of this research and, and this is what we found most effective. And I will say this: of the we did we've done all the schools in Brockton. It was one of the schools we first did, at least in this area. Um, and then after having about three years of the, of the training, we looked at the school's numbers before the training and then after. And, and we picked three schools at random out of the 27. And there was an 80% decrease in suspendable offenses and a 43% decrease in office referrals. So i got to tell um, you, I'm, I'm getting so some, goosebumps hearing that number. Goosebumps. That's yeah, how because, effective you know, now teachers be, are thinking, right? you're giving me something extra to do. And what we're actually finding is if we can put this culture throughout the school, then, and I mean that throughout the school, then your day is going to theoretically, and in, it shows in some of the research, it's going to actually go smoother because you're not going to have as many problem cases. Mm-hmm. I mean, some schools prior to this, when I would go and talk about trauma, they'd say, oh, well, you need to talk to Joe because Joe's our trauma guy. Well, this is exactly the opposite. This means that everybody in the school becomes, it's not necessarily an expert. They don't have to be an expert, but we need to raise the level of awareness and we need to train them in the four domains. So the four domains are relationships, self-regulation, uh, academic success, and physical health and well-being. So for instance, for relationships, does a child get along with any other adults? Who do they get along with in the school? And I remember we, we had one school where we had a young boy we were talking, and he's having difficulty with this teacher or that one. And somebody said, does he get along with anyone? He said, yeah, you know, he, the cafeteria lady is really, honest to God, very nice. They, they seem to joke. He seems to be smiling there. And so we went and talked to the cafeteria lady. She thought she was in trouble. She said, I'm sorry, I just give him a little lecture. I call him sweetie, and I check in with him every day. Is that okay? And we're like, of course. That's exactly what we, we want people to do. We want them to engage. 
I'll tell you another issue. We, we did some training at a school, and we had some teachers in a cluster. It was an eighth-grade uh, model. And um, so we had 140 kids, and we put all their names on five-by-seven cards with a little picture. And then the teachers, maybe 16 or 17 of them, both paraprofessionals and teachers, we said, now go put your initials on those students that you regularly say hello to. And so they put their things. And as you can imagine, it was almost this bell curve, right? That some kids had, like, had an awful lot. This vastly, and then there were some kids who had very little, right? Or not a bell curve, but an extreme curve. There was a lot, some kids on one hand had a lot, some kids had none. And there was five kids who had no initials for teachers on their cards. And so somebody, one of my trainers, the author of the book, Joe Restuccia, Joe said, does anybody know these five kids? And it was the vice principal who raised her hand, and she said, I know them because they're in my office three to four days a week. So the school then kind of was like that aha moment for the teachers and everybody else saying, okay, who's going to engage these guys over the next weeks and months, et cetera? And to be honest with you, three of the five made, you know, made some significant gains, significant gains. They didn't become uh, perfect kids or you know, never down the office, but their frequency was far, far less. So that, that, that piece about relationships, how do they, do, how do they deal with their peers, is this, the, is this the boy or girl who doesn't get invited to the birthday parties for one reason or another? Is this the one who's ostracized? You know, that, those kinds of things, as you know, do they understand social cues? Uh, do they understand reciprocal relationships? So those kinds of things. And, you know, and, and so that's what we kind of, that, that gives the teachers and the folks at the school a common language and questions to ask about each student and those kinds of questions we have for each one of the domains that's great and so for, let's just stick with that for a minute because from an im yeah. point of view that's the ic sure. domain that is mm -hmm. what the ic domain is about and it is that entryway into the biological domain but the fact that there's this absolutely wonderful example of the cafeteria lady who's just treating that kid with value and letting that kid know that she likes him or her, that, yep. that yep. he has value. That's what it's all about, folks, and we can yep. do that for everyone. And the thing is, we are going to have people in our worlds who don't trust that, who have had such experience, either at the home or the social domain, that their biological domains are on high alert all the time, that someone mm -hmm. is going to hurt them. They are in the flight mode, the fight mode, the freeze mm -hmm. mode. And what we can do by treating them with value like that is we turn them into the friendship mode and the fellowship mode and the family mode. So mm -hmm. I, I, I think that example of that relationship domain is so amazing. Now, how do those kids who aren't, you know, who have all these ACEs, what's going on with them academically in that academic domain? You got some yeah, information that, on that? Yeah. Yeah, we do. I mean, so again, you know, this, with this piece here is it's, um, you know, uh, again, the, the academic piece, we're, we're looking, a lot of these kids are struggling because yeah. they have difficulty with um, transition from one classroom to the next. Mm -hmm. uh, they're hypervigilant, as you said. Mm -hmm. um, they're always scanning the room. Is there a threat here? Um, they're, they're wondering about what happened last night. They're wondering about if their mom is home today and if she's okay and if, 
her boyfriend or dad is coming back. The South, you know, they, they, they're, they're preoccupied. Now, it would be great if we had a 9- or 10-year-old who could come into a classroom and have a paper in front of him and kind of do that kind of wandering in his own mind and check things out and try to make things okay. And then, meanwhile, the, the class is 5 or 10 minutes into the project. It would be great if they could raise their hand and say, excuse me, teacher, I'm having a difficult time self-regulating. And can you give me a little more of an assistance? Right, um, right. But as you know, this, kids aren't going to do that. So what they do is they sit there and they sit incredibly frustrated, incredibly angry. And when you're at school, you're getting an attaboy or girl because of your behavior or, and your performance academically. And when you don't experience any of that academic success, that becomes, you know, that, that kind of, you, you don't feel like you're valued. That's so we right. want to ask things like, is someone smart but not completing their work? Do they have inconsistent performance? And then what islands of competence do we have? Do they have? You know, maybe they're not good at math, but, boy, they are great at art or English. What can we build upon the positive piece of that, you know? Mm -hmm. And then are there other non-academic areas of strength that they could build on and work into the academic piece? And then lastly, I think we also ask about, where does the child experience success outside of the school? Because it would be, as you know, it's an awful life if you experience success in nowhere, uh, neither in your school or your home or your community. And, and that makes for an awful, awful life and an awful dreary life. And again, one wonders, then we, then we wonder why we have some of the behavior that we see. Absolutely. And so we're, we're really looking at how stuff that happens at home influences mm -hmm. things in the social domain and that's you know that's because these domains all interconnect and you have this change that's going on in home how is that affecting the relationships that you have in the rest of the world so here here we have these kids who basically you know they're traumatized kids right this adverse mm -hmm. childhood experience i mean it's ad called adverse for a reason because it's not something that is always going to be very beneficial to them mm -hmm. and then I mean, I, I, this idea of, what, what was the, the phrase called, like, uh, alert, what was it that it was called, the alert, high alert, or? Yeah, the hypervigilance and that, they're, like, they're on high alert, they're kind of like look, scanning the room and, you know, wondering, you know? But, but, the, but the, again, you know, but the phrase, the phrase that you use that the, that the police yeah. or someone will give to the school about the kid. Oh, handle with care. I'm handle with care. Yeah. Handle with with care. care. Yeah. That's what it was. Handle with care. What a great right. phrase. Really? Handle right. with care. Right. And on what, so many levels, handle with care. Go ahead. What, what kind of yeah. response are you getting from the schools when the schools are trying to do everything possible to maintain their accreditations and their testing and all that when they've got all yeah, of this on their yeah. plate because I, I well, mean i'm imagining uh, that some some of the easier way would just to be brooming some of these kids away <laughs> instead of embracing and empathizing mark you want to yeah we were kind of yeah. touching on the it, that's not part of my job description if we're getting yeah, any resistance yeah. from from schools yeah. and no you know what uh Mark, it's a it's a great it's a great question, and I have to say, uh, let me kind of give you a little his historical background on this. Um, I, I part of me likes data. I wanted I like I, when I was a kid, I watched the scoreboard. I, I took the baseball scores. I like to I like to see what's happening and how we're moving. Right. So one of the things when we first started doing this work um, back in 06, 07, 08, 09, and right in there, 
Um, I would go to some of the smaller towns in Plymouth County and uh, and sometimes out of that, but in the Plymouth County, let's stay with that. And I would say, gee, I, I, you know, help, we're going to get this program helping traumatize kids. And they go, yeah, it's great, but, you know, we're not really Brockton. Right. And I would say, oh, well, okay, love, so you're do you immune. know that? Right. We, we don't uh, yeah, have that in right our neighborhood. Say, not in my backyard. No, no, not here. <laughs> so I got to tell you what happened was I said, wait a minute, how am I going to get? So I said, okay, I know. So here's the thing, Brockton, and it's it, it, with a hundred thousand people, will do about sixteen hundred calls for domestic violence, right? Wow. And if you take that, this fifty percent of those calls have kids. Now, is that one, two, or three kids? We don't know. But just take a conservative. You know, we're talking eight hundred kids. Well, what we found in our research, it's sometimes about thirteen or fourteen or fifteen hundred. So I say, well, that's the Brockton. So then I would call East Bridgewater Police, or I'd call Plymouth. Plymouth, Plymouth, the town of Plymouth, which I, I don't think, I don't know, are you in Plymouth or Kingston or Marshfield now, I think? We're in Marshfield but, right but now. We would take a look at, yeah, we, we would take a look at, like, say, Plymouth. I just did some of this work the other day. You know, in one year, Plymouth, which has half the number of people in Brockton, has 700 domestic violence cases. Wow. So for a number of years, it was like they would go, oh, oh, yeah, well, that's not, the, we don't really know, we don't really know, I guess we don't know about that. Maybe we should. So that was my end to get in. But by 2012 and 13, and again, I, you know, this is an awful subject, but it, it's the whole issue of the opioid epidemic. You know, you know, in Plymouth County in 2013, we had 42 overdose deaths. Mm. In 2014, we had 82. And in 2015, just two years later, we had 147. Wow. And when we looked at those deaths, 65% of them were people between the ages of 20 and 39. I would call that prime time, crime time, uh, prime time, parent time, excuse me, my, my mistake. And then I, when we looked at the, where the events were happening, it wasn't happening in a dark alley. 65% of the time it was happening in a home. Mm. So when we started to put these numbers out and tell people about this, the school systems are going, yeah, we, yeah, we figured, yeah, we, we had one school that doesn't need to be named, but we had one school in Plymouth County over 18 months lost ten, uh, nine parents. Oh, wow. I mean, what is the ripple effect that goes through that school of the kids who don't have parents who use or the kids who do, and they're thinking, is my mom or dad next? So we have had a lot of, a lot of school systems um, really come in and embrace us and say, hey, can you come in? Can you do the training? Can you at least do it for our, 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 our uh, support staff? Or can you do it for our teachers? Can you do it for our psychologists? But right now, we're, we've just been granted a grant from the Office of Victims of Crime for about six hundred, almost $600,000 that what we're doing is, again, working with police and working with um, schools. And we're also working under the umbrella of the, the DA's task force, but also, uh, I don't know if you've talked about it, but the great, great job that the police are doing in Plymouth County with what's called Pl Plymouth County Outreach which is nothing short of amazing. I think they've visited over, um, you know, 1,500 homes, and I think they've helped place over 600 people into recovery. But they're also, you know, that's another piece of this puzzle when they go to a house to respond either to an overdose and administer Narcan, um, or they go back to follow up and see if they can help somebody get into treatment or recovery. Um, we're asking them to, hey, look for kids. And if you do see them, you can refer them to our program, and we have, a, we have some really fine, excellent trained social workers who are going to reach out to those families and we're going to try to bring those kids in. We, we, we really see them as kind of 
at the moment the most at risk as you can imagine sure. i must say you know we're very fortunate we we have uh, phil tavares as our police chief here in marshfield oh yeah and I'm, I'm very happy to give him a shout out because you know he has helped create a culture mm -hmm. where there is more trust between the community and the police and i think that yep. it's not saying that, yep. that it's immunizing different homes against all sorts of things but i'd like to think that that there's a greater awareness and a sensitivity um to to what's happening and I, again i i just i just want to re-emphasize that this is not about blaming parents mm -mm. who no. are you know doing these things you know we need to find out what's going on with them i mean if we really want to be upstream of this we got to get mm -hmm. to those parents and and help yep. them so that they can be the parents that they may want to be right and not be vilified as horrible people one you know uh, certainly when 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 we had the castle program mm -hmm. we had kids coming in from homes where they were in homes where parents were using um and were either you know using themselves or certainly had had begun using but but we couldn't couldn't in any way say that the parents were to blame we we recognized and again i want to just emphasize this that when you got drugs or alcohol going on it's blocking oxytocin which is the neurohormone mm -hmm. of trust and that's part of what's occurring in the relationship it is blocking that empathic response we had one kid uh who came in well, he was about 14 15 years old addicted to heroin and for his 13th birthday his mother who's a heroin addict had shown him how to shoot up Ugh. that's how they were bonding and everybody goes oh my god yeah. but this shows just how drugs are so powerful they can block even the maternal instinct to protect your child that's mm -hmm. not and mm -hmm. I, I want to emphasize you know addiction is not about morality it's about mortality it's the way the brain works and as we're going through this talk about aces i want to be sure that we're we're not blaming parents because if we do that they're not going to come out to get right. any help to change they're not going to because they know they're going to be judged so how do you manage that part ed how do you how do you educate people that the kids who come out of these homes you can't just say the parents are bad people what do you do with that mm -hmm. well I, I think it's a great i think it's another great question i think uh, when i think of it i think in a kind of a bigger framework i mean you know the individual the micro but but the macro i think you know we need to strengthen our economic support for some of these families doc mm -hmm. I, I believe that we have a lot of um you know the the feminization of, of poverty again we have a lot of uh, single parents we have a lot of moms who are, are struggling. I think that's a piece of this. Um, I think changing the social norm about and supporting positive parenting, and I think you see that in a lot of communities, but I think there's some communities where people feel very lonely and isolated. And, you know, we used to have, you know, we used to live in triple-deckers way back in the day, right? And so Grammy would be on the first floor because there weren't a lot of steps, and, and then Auntie would be on the second floor, and you'd be on the third floor. Well, if, you know, someone had a baby in that family, there were people around to help you and support you. Right. And again, you know that one of the, the one of the best programs of to combat child abuse and delinquency is the visiting nurse program. Having somebody go in and form a relationship with a mother, 
very early in whether the pregnancy or just post-delivery for up to two years. Mm -hmm. the, the numbers on that are outstanding. So quality child care and education early in life are important, you know, brain development, uh, and working to enhance parenting skills and let parents know that they, they can be an active participant in promoting the health of their child's development. Um, and lastly, I think, you know, we, we got we to gotta try to figure out ways of inventing the lessons we've learned so that we can prevent, um, you know, some of the things where, you know, what have we learned and then how do we use that information to, to, to get upstream, as you say, and, and how do we provide those kids with safe, stable, and nurturing environment? Because in many cases, doctor, when you talk to the parents, you know, you could say that boy, this, this child's got five aces, the parents got has has seven or eight or nine of their own. Exactly. So we can we can play the blame game, but that's not going to get anybody anything. No. It's just, it, it just stigmatizes people. Um, that's not what about it. I, I you know it's not about pointing the finger. It's about how do we get people help. Yep. And that's it's so. And you know what? You know what's really sort of remarkable. We have got like about a minute left. Is that it was astonishing. That, that people would be surprised that if you have difficult and adverse experiences in childhood, it's not just going to go away. It's going to travel right. with you. And mm -hmm. the fact that we now acknowledge it, and yet it's been 20-plus years that we've got this data, it's still happening. We've got to do something. And, again, that's part of what the IM is about. A, a system yep. has an IM as well. It's not just about the individual, but we have a system that maybe without realizing it contributing to this and just like you said let's do something about it let's get some economic help out there and get these folks the help they need hey jacobs i want to thank you so much and i want to just thank the Tim Cruz and the water. DA's Real office privilege. for all you guys are doing folks we're going to continue the parenting theme over the next several weeks stay tuned we'll be back next week with the dr joe show bye Thanks, everyone Ed.